Welcome to A Certain Age, a show for women who are unafraid to age out loud. I'm your host, Katie Fogarty. Beauties, if you have listened to A Certain Age podcast for more than five minutes, you have heard any number of conversations on the importance of weight training and building muscle in midlife. We have featured fabulous fitness experts and doctors on the critical importance of building muscles to keep our bodies and our brains working for the long haul. Today, I'm excited to be exploring weights, weight training, and strength through a new lens. I'm joined by journalist Alyssa Ages, who is also an endurance athlete and strongman competitor. She can pull a 50-ton truck more than 20 feet using only her body, so she is the real deal. She's here to dive into her debut book, Secrets of Giants, a journey to uncover the true meaning of strength. We're going to do a deep dive into the science and psychology of why pushing our physical limits not only builds strength, but can also soothe our spirits and minds. And we're going to do some myth busting around what it means for women to be strong and what motivates us to lift heavy things. Spoiler alert, humans have been lifting heavy for ages. Listen in to learn why. Welcome, Alyssa. Thank you so much. That was a heck of an introduction. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a heck of a story, so it deserves a heck of an intro um, because you are a mom, a strongman competitor, right? Endurance athlete. I know you've done six marathons and an Ironman. You are a rock climber, a crossfitter, and a former member of the Jersey City Bridge and Pummel Roller Derby team. But you also yeah. write for publications like GQ and Self Magazine, Bustle. So I know you've got a pretty full plate. What made you sit down and write Secrets of Giants? So I had been in strength training for about two years. Um, and I was in the gym one day. I was getting ready for a competition. Um, and I was lifting an Atlas stone, which for those who don't really know the sport of strongman, it's um, kind of like this big boulder. Basically, it's uh, what you might have seen if you ever watched um, late night reruns on ESPN of World's Strongest Man. Uh, and I, I suddenly felt like I was just exhausted and not the kind of exhaustion that comes from just a tough workout, but something else. And when I went home that day, I took a pregnancy test and I found out that I was pregnant. And then um, three weeks later, I found out that I was miscarrying. And I very quickly went from feeling the strongest I ever had in my entire life to feeling just the weakest and vulnerable and broken. And, um, it really kind of made me question my body. I felt betrayed by my body. Um, I didn't trust it anymore. And during that time, um, one of the things I did to kind of cope with all of those feelings was I went back to the gym. And as I would go back to the gym, I found that when I was, when I was working out and when I left the gym, I just started to feel more capable. I believed in my body a little bit more. I walked a little taller. I had my shoulders pulled back and it got me thinking, well, maybe I have had this all wrong. Maybe strength isn't actually about how much we can lift, but maybe about how we learn to use the things that we've learned in the gym to manage the struggles we go through outside of the gym. Yeah, absolutely. This is such a such a powerful story. I you know spent time with your book, and I I heard um, you know just it was such a vulnerable time for you, and you you describe it so well. I'm sure that listeners who have gone through that experience themselves can so relate. Um, I you know, know in your book that you've interviewed dozens of researchers and psychologists, and you really focus on a lot of strength pioneers across genders and backgrounds. You share that you, you know, return to sort of pushing yourself physically and that you experience benefits beyond strength. You know, what did you um, what did your strength training uh, produce for you? And is that echoed by what you heard from the interviews that you had? Are there common themes that emerged? Yeah, on a personal level, I mean, the the biggest thing was that I just 
regained that trust in my body. And over the years since then, um, I, you know, whenever I lift, I just, I find the, even just the hours afterwards, the days afterwards, I feel more powerful. Um, I feel like I can do more. And it taught me, especially during that time that I could deal with hard things. I could endure hardship and I could come out the other side being stronger. Um, and absolutely that was echoed in, in particular with the athletes that I interviewed. Um, I think a lot of us think that people come to weightlifting, um, from an aesthetic perspective, right? We always think, okay, well, we're, we're going into it. I want to get bigger biceps. I want to get six pack abs and the athletes I spoke to that really wasn't the case for them. Maybe it was an early kind of driver, but for the most part, they came to it because something happened in their lives that made them feel vulnerable and they wanted an opportunity to take control over how they felt and to feel more empowered and lifting heavy things allowed them to do that. Yeah. So much of what your uh, language around this resonated when I read in the book and it's resonating for me now. And you say, quote, lifting didn't erase the burden of my miscarriage, but it reminded me again and again, I could endure hard things that I know that strength isn't about being immune to pain or impervious to failure. It's about managing the struggle. And I I feel that getting to midlife teaches us that we can do hard things, right? Because you just shared something that you went through. Not a single person listening to the show has gotten to the north side of 48 without navigating hardship, right? We have job mm-hmm. loss. We lose people. We lose, you know, uh, sometimes our sense of self. We lose jobs. There's, you know, a lot of change and hard things we need to navigate. Lifting helped you. Helped you. Do you feel that aging played any role in this as well? Or, you know, could it be a hybrid? You know, tell me what your perspective on that is. Yeah, I mean, this this journey um, to write this book and to kind of go a little bit deeper into the world of strength started, um, part of the impetus for it was the year that I turned 40. Um, so I had been lifting before then, but when I started lifting again a little bit more in earnest after turning 40, I started to just approach it differently. I began to think of it as less about, okay, well, can I win this competition? What's the most weight that I can lift? Um, And started to think about it more as, well, how do I want to feel for the rest of my life? I'm a mom of two kids now. Um, What do I want to be able to do with them? And do I want to be able to continue to run around with them? I had my daughters a little bit later in life, and I want to be able to do all the things that a younger mom could do with their kids as I get older. So what is the most weight you can lift? Because <laughs> I did <laughs> I mean, open by saying that you were pulling 50 times. I mean, I was knocked out by some of these strong man challenges. And by the way, we need to get like, why is it called strong man? Because you are a very strong woman. We need to, we need a rebrand <laughs> of this competition. Yeah, I think it's funny. I don't really... It never really phases me, I think, in part because I also did an Ironman, and that was just like, that's the corporate name of the race. So I've always just been like, yeah, well, I'm an Ironman. I've never said Iron Woman. Strongman, it's interesting because um, strong, the the female competitors in Strongman will say strong woman, but the sport is called Strongman. Gotcha. So, yeah. So, and I'll do that kind of throughout the book where I say the sport of Strongman, but I will say, you know, so-and-so is a strong woman competitor. Yeah, I love it. And so what you know, yeah. what, what do you lift? I mean, tell us. I mean, this is not a competition, but I'm curious. I, I want to <laughs> listen. Because I've read the book. I know what it is that you yeah. get into. And I would love for you to paint uh, for our you know, picture for our listeners about what does it mean to compete in this type of strength um, pursuits? Yeah. I mean, for anybody who hasn't watched The Sport of Strongman, um, I will say, first of all, it, there's kind of the the highest level, which is world's strongest man, which is what people might know of. And then under that though, you've got all these other levels way, way down to the amateur level where we're competing in literally parking lots. 
um, just to kind of see who can do the most and who can lift the most. Um, I typically define the sport of strongman as um, picking up really heavy, odd objects and then either uh, putting them back down, carrying them for a distance or like throwing them or pressing them overhead. Tell us a little bit more about what we're picking up here. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, rocks of all shapes and sizes, um, kegs that are not filled with beer, um, vehicles. So I've I've pulled the 50-ton truck, but before that, I also pulled a RAV4, which doesn't sound like it should be as hard, but somebody thought it would be a good idea to make it harder by putting the emergency brake on. Oh my. And, you know, it doesn't move. Wowzers. Do <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's like dragging it. Um, there's, yeah, I mean, it's uh, logs, like an actual hollowed out log that you put over your head. Um, there's something called a circus dumbbell, which is sort of, if you can imagine a regular dumbbell, but about 10, 15 times the size of that sandbags. It's kind of, and one of the things I love about strongman is there's very little barrier to entry in the sense that yes, stuff in the sport is heavy, but if you ever wanted to just see, Hey, I wonder if I could do this, you could walk outside your house, pick up a heavy rock and just throw it or put it over your head. And like, congratulations, you're doing strongman. <laughs> I love, well, you make it sound so easy and I know it's not, we're heading into a quick break, but when we come back, I want to learn a little bit more about how you got started. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in your day, would you use it to head to yoga, take a nap, read a book, hang with a friend, maybe start a podcast? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. I know I do. I have three kids, two jobs, one puppy, and to be honest, a zillion things on my want to get to list. Here's what I've learned. The best way to squeeze something special into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your busy schedule. Getting started is so easy. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash a certain age today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash a certain age. We're back from the break. We were talking about the heavy things that you pick up. You're encouraging some of our listeners to realize they can do some of this at home. You don't need to be in a competition. But for listeners who are thinking, this sounds, you know, all well and good for you, but I could po never possibly do this. You must be an incredible athlete. And, you know, I would love for you to share a little bit of a snapshot about your athletic background in the past and how you got, how you got started on this track. Yeah, I was um, not an athletic kid, to be clear. I um, had done a season of Little League when I was 10 and had this very strong memory of never hitting the ball. Uh, and that kind of took me into this place where for the rest of my life, I sort of thought, oh, I'm just not athletic. I'm just not good at sports. And it wasn't until I was in my early 20s that I found out from my mom that it wasn't that I had never hit the ball in Little League. I had never even swung the bat. And I, I very quickly in that moment, I kind of went, oh, my God, I, maybe I'm not bad at stuff. Maybe I just was too scared to try. And it led me on this path of just wanting to do the extreme version of everything, which is how I kind of went from not running a mile to doing marathons and from not being able to really swim a lap in the pool to doing triathlons, not lifting weights to doing CrossFit to doing strongman. Um, so I really and truly started from absolutely nothing. 
And I compete and I've competed a lot, but I've also come in last in pretty much every single competition I've ever done. And I still love it. I think there's just this really amazing joy in testing your limits and seeing what you're capable of, even if that's not what, even if you're not going to achieve what you hope to achieve. Um, you hear a lot from people that, no, I don't know how to get started in strength, right? Or it's really intimidating. And I 150% get that. I still walk into a new gym and feel really intimidated when I go in. Uh, but there are so many ways to get started, even if it's brand new to you, um, even just from starting with body weight um, is a really, really good place to start. I was I was speaking to someone today um, who she put this really well. We talk a lot about functional fitness, right? But what does functional fitness mean to you? And she explained to me that, you know, what matters is finding what your function needs to be. So what do you want to do better in your life that strength training can support? Um, an example for me was that when I was pregnant, my coach would have me walk up and down the length of the turf in our gym, carrying a really heavy kettlebell in one hand, because he wanted to mimic for me what it would be like to carry a car seat in yeah. one hand. That's right? so smart. I love that. Exactly. And uh, to yeah. carry toddlers, frankly. You know, yeah. I, I'm always joking that I I, I started weight training um, probably nine months ago now. When I say weight training, these are like tiny baby weights compared to what you're doing. But I want to be able to lift my suitcase into the overhead compartment of an airplane because yeah. I plan on traveling the globe when I have more free time. And I want to, you know, I want to have the functional fitness to do that, to carry my groceries, to carry future grandchildren, to do all of that good stuff. So I, I love that. There's a level of fitness for anyone and that you don't have to necessarily be picking up logs to, to add strength training to your life. What are some exactly. of the, what are some, you yeah. mentioned, first of all, I love that you use the word joy. That was one of the benefits that you got out of, yeah. of doing your lifting because we can all use more joy in our lives. Um, and I think that's like a very underrated health benefit that don't that, that people don't necessarily think about when they start new things. I, I started playing pickleball and I play paddle platform tennis, and both of those things give me joy, even though it makes me feel like a bit of a cliche. What are some of the other health benefits to strength training that you've experienced for yourself and that you've learned from interviewing experts on the book? Yeah, on a personal level. So when I would do endurance sports, um, one of the unfortunate side effects for me when I would train for marathons was that I often got stress fractures. And that happened to me almost every single time I trained for a marathon. Um, and I learned from testing that I had low bone density. Well, one of the things we know about strength training is that it increases bone density. And that becomes, sure, that was important for me in my 20s when that when I was getting those stress fractures, but it's even more important as I'm getting older and as any of us are getting older, right? Because we're starting to get into that place where osteopenia and osteoporosis are a real concern. And then, you know, falling, right? Our balance decreases. So when you lift, and again, not super heavy things, just strength training, just resistance training, that can be bands, that can be your body weight. Um, but when we build muscle, we also build bone density. And we improve our balance. So one, we improve the, we, you know, mitigate the risk of falling, but two, we also mitigate the risk of breaking something if, if, and when we do fall, right? So as we get older, that becomes more and more important. And so for people who are now like, okay, you've converted me, <laughs> I am ready to give this a try and that they're up for it. You know, where do you recommend they begin? Is it, is it starting with CrossFit? I say, no, you did before you kind of, you know, transitioned into more strength training. What is a um, kind of a regimen that you might recommend to somebody to get, get started? Yeah. So you absolutely do not have to start with CrossFit. You don't have to do CrossFit ever at all if you don't want to. You know, I liked it, um, but certainly it is not a prerequisite. Um, I usually say 
if you have the means, one of the best, best, best things you can do is to work one-on-one with a coach. Um, and that can be virtual, that can be in person, whatever works for you. Um, I also recognize that that is not available to everybody. So beyond that, the next thing I usually say is if you can join a small group class, um, and I say small because in anything too large, you can be moving with dumbbells and doing it completely wrong and get injured because nobody can nobody can give you individual attention. Um, but past that, there's also uh, there are apps that will have video demonstrations of the movements. Right? And what and, and so what are then, some good ones that you might recommend? Um, that is great. I don't actually know one off the top of my head. I apologize. That's okay. Um, this is what Google. But... This is what Google is for. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, but, um, one of the things I would say is that those are great. And I think that's a really, really good way to see what, um, what the movements should look like. Um, but again, this was the same person I was speaking with today, who's a specialist in this. Um, she also added for me that in addition to watching someone else do it on video, one of the best things you can do and something I do in my own lifting is take videos of yourself and then compare that to the videos you're seeing of someone else doing the movement, because it's one thing to feel that you're doing it right, but it's quite another thing to look and go, oh my gosh, I didn't realize I was totally rounding my back when I picked up that weight. Yeah, that's right? such a and genius so- suggestion because I, like yeah. I, I was mentioning racket sports earlier, I've played, you know, tennis for a decade and you can feel like, you know, Serena Williams when you're hitting. And then when you look at a video, because I've seen them and you're like, oh, like I'm not doing that right. And it's, you really have yeah. to see your body in motion during the movement so that you can then correct it when you're, you're next back on the court. Yeah, exactly. And you don't have to put that video anywhere. Like that doesn't have to go on your social media. It's just for you. I take videos every single time I lift. And what I do is in between lifts, I go back and I look at the video. And if I did something wrong, now I can fix it the next time. That's so smart. That's so smart. And so what are some other tips to get started if we want to incorporate this at home? Yeah, at home, I would say, again, begin with body weight. Um, you know, do some squats with just your body weight, do pushups, even if they have to be on your knees with your body weight. Um, and once you feel strong in that, you can start to progress, right? So you can pick up water jugs, start with that, um, see how it feels to hold that in front of you in like a goblet position and do a squat. Um, you can put that over your head. You can, you know, you, you have all kind of manner of things that are just available to you in your home before you start to transition to a gym. Okay. I love that. I, I'm like picturing me with like a big gallon of milk over my head. I'm, yeah. I'm... <laughs> Listen, in the start of COVID, that's what all of us were doing, right? I When I was traveling at one point and I didn't have access to weights, and but we did have backpacks and I took my backpack and I filled it with like everything we had and I just put it on my back and I did squats with it. Yeah. That's, I, I love that because you make, it makes it sound so easy and accessible. Uh, I want to, yeah. I want to ask you about something. You know, one of your, in, in one of the chapters in the book is called Take Up Space, which I immediately gravitated to because of course, right. We, you know, we, we want to take up space in the world. I think getting to midlife means that we recognize that we're kind of claiming um, ourselves and, and, and things that we're interested in. One of the, the uh, ideas that you explore in this chapter is that um, that there some people feel that strength training and being strong and being bulky is you know is not feminine or that women should not be you know taking up space in this way. Our world often asks women to be smaller. I would love for you to walk through why you wrote this chapter, what you share in it, and what strength training has taught you about what it means to be a strong woman. Yeah. When, um, you know, I think it's really interesting the way we talk to women about weight training, right? So typically we hear one of two things. We hear, oh, don't lift weights because you don't want to get bulky. 
And then on the flip side, let's say you're talking to someone who's enthusiastic about lifting. You might hear, hey, don't worry about lifting weights. You won't get bulky, right? But either way, we are suggesting that bulky is a bad thing. We're suggesting that there's a negative connotation to it. And when I started thinking about that, I thought, well, what is the definition of bulky? And I looked it up and the definition read, uh, taking up much space, typically inconveniently. And I thought, oh, well, this, okay, <laughs> I, yeah, this makes sense now, right? Because of, of course, a strong woman is inconvenient. Of course, a woman whose aesthetic is challenging gender norms is inconvenient. Absolutely. It's inconvenient to, well, I guess, largely men. Um, and it's so, it's been sold to us as this really negative thing. But the women that I spoke to for this book, all of them talked about how lifting weights taught them to learn to love taking up space. And it also taught them to learn to love their bodies, not for how they looked, but for what they can do. And it taught me that too. It was a struggle though. I'm really honest in the book that it's not like I went from, you know, diet culture all the time and wanting to be thin to suddenly being like, yep, I want to bulk up. I want to be big. I want to be whatever. It didn't happen overnight. And it it's still something I struggle with, even as I've tried to put on mass to get stronger. Um, I don't think it happens overnight, but I care a lot less about it now. And when I can move something that seemed immovable before, that's when I really don't care about what the muscles look like. I care about the fact that I'm strong enough to do that. I think that's another reason that I, I this book really resonated with me because I, I it's I, I would never have thought that there was kind of a, a direct comparison between strength training and, and midlife and just sort of this weight this weight training but this notion that we're um, looking and viewing our at our bodies in new ways um, and that we're more accepting of them just really resonated because we you know. When we look at what it means to be a woman in midlife and to be sort of uh, menopausal when you're no longer having your – where you can't reproduce, you know, for, for so many yeah. women, the way we get um, dealt with in the world and the way we get interacted with by, by, by media or by, by men or by marketers, right, it's about um, – you know, uh, getting your period, being, re you know, being having those reproductive years and then um, being forced to sort of reinvent your sense of self when your your body has changed and you're in this midlife space. And it, it feels like so many women that come on this show talk about um, just feeling so much more confident, so much more powerful, so much more accepting of themselves, even when things are challenging, because menopause is no walk in the park. You know, there, there are you know, incredible impacts that happen on your body and your brain. But, I, you know, we, we have to reinvent our sense of self and I, I, in terms of our body. And I feel like the way you talk about strength training, um, it just feels so familiar um, and so resonant to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I think one of the really interesting things too, is that we, as women, how much of our lives are we told that our body is ours, right? Not much. It's, we don't tend to feel a lot of autonomy for most of our life. We're sort of told from the moment that we are capable of bearing children, that our body has a specific function to it and that's what it's supposed to do. And then when you get pregnant, okay, maybe briefly everything is about you. And then the second you have the baby, everything is about the baby and no one cares about your body anymore with the exception of making sure that you bounce back from what you look, you know, from what you look like now to what you looked like before. Um, and then you get to menopause and then what, I mean, historically, and even now it's like, now your body matters even less because now it has no function to the rest of the world. 
Yeah. So I think it's culturally the, in yeah. the U.S. too, because you know when you were talking about yeah. your body and the bouncing back. You know, I, I had a wonderful pelvic floor therapist who came on, Doctor Anne Duke, and she shared that in um, France, you know, women get twelve weeks of um, pelvic floor training after they deliver babies. Uh, and they get even more if they've wound up with a second pregnancy or complications. And, you know, so I, I, wow. you know, in your book, I know you talked to lots of different um, people. You know, was there sort of any kind of um, did you learn anything surprising culturally about the way different communities feel about women in, in weight training and strength training? Um, not a tremendous amount when I was researching the book, but since finishing it and since going out and promoting the book, yes, I mean, when I'm going to events now, I'm talking to women of all different cultural backgrounds and learning that, you know, for them, women being strong and women being muscular um, is viewed completely differently depending on where you live. But I mean, overall, there's almost no culture that says women should be very visibly strong. So We can be strong enough to be capable to do things around the home and take care of the family. But, you know, showing big muscles, I've yet to find anywhere where that is, you know, necessarily rewarded. Yeah, it's so interesting. Your book is full of really fascinating facts about strength. You explore the history of strength. There's a lot of fascinating tidbits about um, I was surprised to learn the term hysterical strength from you in the book, which I I thought was so cool. Do you want to give our listeners a quick snapshot of what that is? Yeah, I think hysterical strength is one of the coolest things. So um, if you've ever heard stories of a mom being able to lift a car off a child suddenly, um, that's an example of hysterical strength, right? So what happens when you are able to do that is basically your body is able to use 100% of the strength. And for reference, or the 100% of of its total strength, for reference, um, on average, a person can lift can use about 60% of their strength. And in a competition setting, they can use about 70% if they're a trained lifter, right? So outside of that, we're not accessing that. We don't access 100% of our strength, but in that moment you can. What happens though, is that everything else in your body shuts down. All of your body's resources are diverted to helping you do that. Your body is flooded with pain deadening chemicals. So you don't feel any pain when you're doing that. Um, It is not something that we know we can replicate anywhere else because it's pretty impossible to uh, artificially put someone in that situation. Um, But I do talk about one athlete who went went to a hypnotist and basically tried to create hysterical strength for himself in order to pull a very, very heavy deadlift that he wanted to pull. And whether he accessed hysterical strength or somehow hypnotized himself into believing that that day, there's no real way to know. Um... But I did find it just particularly fascinating. And I think the biggest takeaway for me from that was that when we're scared, our body's involuntary reaction is to produce strength, which is really cool. And so it's accessible to us all along. And sometimes, and you you address a little bit of that, that notion of fear, right? That sometimes we're, yeah. uh, you know, the, the, the connection of fear to, and, and strength. And it's, it's so interesting that this power resides in us and we don't often access it. Like we don't swing the bat like you didn't do when you were young. You know, you told yourself a story. I'm not a good, you know, I'm not good at baseball. I'm not good at softball because, but I never actually swung the bat. I never gave it a try. And I think that's something that that we often do is we talk ourselves out of things and we we, we choose to believe stories that aren't necessarily true. And, and I love that you told yourself a new story and you access a bit, this ability to be strong. Um, this was, you know, 
maybe something that was surprising to you. What else uh, in researching and writing this book surprised you? Uh, one of my favorite things that I learned researching the book was, um, you know, I mentioned at the start of this that when I had, uh, when I'd gone through that miscarriage, one of the few things that kind of helped bring me back to life was going to the gym and lifting heavy things. But at the time I didn't really understand how or why. And when I was writing this book, I spoke to a couple of people who work in the field of trauma-informed weightlifting, which is basically working with people who've gone through trauma and helping them heal from that trauma through lifting heavy things. So when I would go into the gym after the miscarriage, and let's say I wanted to go do a, a heavy deadlift, right? So to do a heavy deadlift safely, I have to brace my core. I have to breathe into my core muscles, and I have to kind of puff them out into, if I'm wearing a weight belt, into that weight belt. I have to feel my abdomen pressing against it. And in that moment, in order for me to lift that heavy weight, I have to believe that this place on my body of sadness and weakness and vulnerability is also a place of strength. And if I don't believe that and I don't trust in my body, I'm not going to be able to move that weight safely. Um, and, and learning that that was part of what helped me with my recovery was really fascinating. Yeah, I love that. I, I I have a wonderful yoga teacher that every time I take her class, she says, if you think you can't, you're right. And, you know, the opposite of that is if you want to do something, you have to believe that it is possible. You know, you're never yeah. you're never going to be able to achieve something if you don't truly believe that it's within your grasp. And the, the mind and your book is fascinating because when I thought about strength before I began this book, I thought of the physical physicality, you know, muscles lifting those heavy things. But the, the book really links the, the um, mental strength that is required to be strong. You cannot be strong physically if you aren't strong mentally and you don't believe in yourself. And I thought that was such a fascinating realization for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to end, though, before we move into our speed round, by asking you about something that you know, begins your book. You open your book with a quote that says, Learning about what you're made of is always time well spent, and I have found no better teacher. The iron has taught me how to live. This is a quote by somebody named Henry Rollins. We've talked a lot. Of, <laughs> we've talked a lot about what weight training has given you this sort of confidence. It gave you this sort of resiliency. It allowed you to feel good in your body again. What did writing this book teach you about yourself? Because this is a very different kind of project. Yeah. Uh, writing this book. So when I had the idea for this book, I thought I'm going to write a book about the sport of strongman. I just wanted to write this book about this subculture and tell people about this weird and wonderful sport. And the feedback I got from authors that I spoke to was, that's really, really niche. I don't know how many people are going to care about that. This needs to be your story. And I really didn't want to write my story. I'm a journalist. I like writing other people's stories. Um, so I had to really dig deep into, you know, my, my emotions surrounding all of this. And in particular, the chapter that we talked about, about body image and, you know, bulkiness and all of that was the hardest for me to write. I had to really be honest about the fact that I, for my whole life have been kind of a victim of diet culture and all of the ways that I've thought about eating and restricting my food and working out to lose weight. That was really difficult, but it, you know, in, in the same ways, I hope that it makes other people um, feel better about their own bodies. Um, it, it did make me feel that way about mine. Yeah. But I, when we share our stories, we we remove some of the 
You know, the shame, and we also feel more connected to people. I'm sure you've been getting such great feedback from from other women and other you know other people that have had the same exact experience. I I so enjoyed yeah. reading this book. It's something that's, you know, it's. I, one of the best things about having this podcast is I have conversations with people that that are into things that I'm not into, that are experts in things that I'm, you know, just learning about. And I was really fascinated. I think this book is, you know, way beyond simply, you know, the the strongman communities you shared. It's just it's a really interesting uh, look at at, at um, sort of discovery and, and challenging oneself and and how you can really um, you know s- swing the bat for yourself. I found myself thinking about things in my own life that I was trying or that I was afraid of, you know, way beyond simply physical things. So thank you so much for bringing it into the world. It was such a a great treat to read, and it reminded me. I know you mentioned Danielle Friedman in the book who wrote. The uh, the book uh, on the history of women's exercise movement called Let's Get Physical. Danielle was a, a guest in the past. For any listeners who have not listened to that show yet, it's really fascinating as well. And the book is wonderful. Um, and so we are we live our lives that it, it kind of informed by things that we're not even aware of. You know, like the history of women in, in um, athleticism, the history of how we view women in, in strength. And it's so great to do a deep dive and to learn more about the things that really shape our lives in ways that we might not understand. So again, Alyssa, thank you so much. We are heading we are heading into our speed round. This is just one to two word answers. Um, so we can cover a little bit more ground before we have to say goodbye. Are you ready? Okay. I know you, I know you're ready. You're like you're readier than <laughs> I am. <laughs> All right. Writing Secrets of Giants was challenging. Okay. We love honest answers. I'm trying to write a book too, so I can totally relate. I've got two, I've got two <laughs> chapters in a drawer and yes, it's very challenging. Uh, the first time I saw my book on a store shelf or on an e-commerce site, it felt surreal. Surreal. Nice. Uh, your book and your workouts feature equipment I have never used or frankly heard of. Battle ropes, Atlas stones, which is a favorite? The yoke. The yoke. Hands down. It, yeah, it's. I know we're supposed to do one word answer, but just to give people an explanation, it's like this long bar attached to these kind of legs that you put on your shoulders and you walk with it and you feel like you're in the Oregon Trail. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds intense. All right. We aren't, we aren't lifting kegs or using yokes at home. What's a home workout tool we should all consider investing in? Uh, investing in uh, resistance bands. Nice. Okay. I, I like that. That's easy. Um, you've done a lot of stuff. We've already talked about it. Rock climbing, CrossFit, strength training. What is an exercise re- that you haven't really adopted yet that you'd love to add to your routine someday? Oh my gosh. I don't know. <laughs> I've done so much of what I wanted to do. Um, oh, what's a really good one? Uh, I, I don't, I don't know that there's anything that I am dying to do. I would like to rock climb more. I would like to do more outdoor rock climbing. Okay. Well, I think that's a great answer. If you're doing all the things that you would want to be doing, that's a wonderful (laughs) place to be. Uh, how about this one? Hard pass. This exercise is not for me. Uh, I hope I don't offend a lot of people. I really don't like spinning. (laughs) (laughs) I like biking. I like cycling. I just don't like spinning. That's okay. We all, you know, we we, we don't have to, we're not all things to all people. All right. (laughs) This lifestyle choice beyond strength training helps me stay fit and feel sane. Um, going for long walks. Nice. Building strength and muscle takes more than lifting. This strength building superhero is always in my grocery cart. Oh, oh, like a food item? Yeah. 
Uh, protein powder. Okay, protein powder. That sounds a lot easier than lifting. I'm going to do that. Okay. <laughs> Finally, your one-word answer to complete the sentence, as I age, I feel. Powerful. Nice. Yes. Uh, I love it. I love it. I love it. This has been such a treat. I so enjoyed learning more about you and your book. And you've really inspired me to kind of up my game beyond, you know, my 10 pound, um, you know, little bicep curls. So thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful. Yeah. Before we say goodbye, though, how can our listeners keep following you, learn more about your work and find this great book? You can find Secrets of Giants anywhere that books are sold. Um, you can find me if you're on social media at Alyssa Aegis. I am that, uh, uh, I'm with that handle on Twitter, Instagram, and very reluctantly, I have just joined TikTok. Um, <laughs> so you can join my two followers there, which will be great. Uh, and then for any of my work, um, including excerpts from the book, if you want to read that before you buy the book, it's just AlyssaAgis.com. Phenomenal. I'll put this all in the show notes. This wraps A Certain Age, a show for women who are aging without apology. And before I say goodbye, a quick favor. I would love it if you could take five minutes to write an Apple podcast review. You can share something you learned on today's show or on a previous episode, or simply share why you tune in every week and make the show a part of your week. Apple podcast reviews help the show grow. Special thanks to Michael Mancini, who composed and produced our theme music. See you next time. And until then, lift heavy, beauties.